And welcome along to the latest Forever Blue podcast, uh, a day later than normal today because of the Southampton game, of course. Uh, thanks very much for, for subscribing and listening, really appreciate it. My name's Ian Cheeseman, and as usual, I've got uh, uh, three guests with me on the podcast this evening. Uh, just before I introduce them, a big thank you to charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, uh, and also involved in the buying and selling of properties, so they're an expert in their field. They are led by a City fan called Dave. So if you want to give them a call, you heard the number at the beginning of the podcast, or you just look on their website, which is charleslouis.co.uk. Spelt, I suppose you said the French way, Charles and then L-O-U-I-S dot co.uk. There's a phone number on there. There's a website you can look at. As I said, they buy and sell property as well as advising on mortgages. Give them a bell, uh, ask them for some advice, and I'm sure they'll be delighted to give it to you. So big thanks to them for supporting the podcast. Uh, now, the guests on the podcast today are Harlan, who's one of our regulars, um, Adam, another one of our regulars, and the city legend, uh, that is Dennis Stewart, the king of all Geordies, which I feel as if I have to say at the end every time I mention Dennis, because you are the king of all Geordies, Dennis, and you're very welcome <laughs> to join us. Um, but let's let's start by asking you what you thought of you know, the performance at Southampton and where City are at the moment in terms of their readiness for the big challenges that are coming in the month of April. Well, we're delighted with the final result because I was a little bit apprehensive going into the game because prior to the uh, that game on Sunday, they, they had a bit of a blip, but before that, they had a fantastic run of performances and I thought, wow, you know, we've got to play Southampton in a couple away from home. But they had a few dips in their, their form so they weren't they weren't sort of um, re- ready really for the game, um, and I knew I've got this thing about watching Manchester City. Once we score the first goal, I'm 99% certain that we win the game. It's when we don't, when the opposition sit deep, we try and um, get behind them, and they're so they're so tight in defence, there's no space to penetrate, and then they hit us on a counter. We go one down, and all of a sudden, you know, we find it difficult to break them down because they then go back into the shell. And just, I think if you look over the last two or three years, the teams that have beat us are the ones that have been sitting deep, give us no space. Our tempo begins to build up slowly. We can't penetrate. And they hit us on the counter, get the goal, and all of a sudden we're up against it. So, obviously, after the Crystal Palace draw, there were a few people a little bit down. Um, 4-1 victory at Southampton suggests that that being down was ill-founded. But I still, still think there's a few... City fans are a little bit anxious um, about what's to come. How, how, how do you feel about that? Well, I think you have to be uh, a little bit anxious because this is the, the latter end of the uh, of the season, the latter end of the cup competitions. And then, uh, obviously, the better teams have got through to these, uh, these, these situations in the league. So we've got, we've got Chelsea, we've got Liverpool, we've got uh, uh, Arsenal, uh, West Ham, Spurs, United to a degree in, in the, uh, the Premier League. And then we've got you know, the FA Cup and the, uh, the Champions League as well. You know, I think Madrid over two legs won't be easy, especially when we're at home first. Uh, and, and obviously the, uh, um, the FA Cup against, against Liverpool on the, uh, on the Sunday. You mentioned about, you know, teams, certain teams anyway, you know, playing in a certain way uh, to try to combat what City do so brilliantly. I mean, I don't think anybody would argue that when they're on song, the passing, the movement off the ball is just awesome. Um, but there are certain types of teams. Crystal Palace were a good example who sit back and, you know, have a very deep defence, often five, maybe even six at the back. 
Atletico Madrid do tend to have a reputation for playing that way. So is that something that, <laughs> that you, you know, that gives you, I mean, it, it could have been one of the others. It could have been Bayern, it could have been Liverpool, it could have been Chelsea. And I looked at Atletico Madrid, who only went past United by one goal and thought, no, this will be tough. But I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, well, they only beat United by one point. Well, we'll easily beat them. Where, where do you stand on that? Well, you know what, <clears throat> you know what you're going to get with uh, Simeone's team? You know, they're going to be ultra-defensive. They're going to work their socks off. They're going to deny us space. They're going to get tackles in. They're going to, they're going to probably show some of the dark arts uh, and get away with it. And then um, that's the way they play. Uh, and, and if they get 1-0 uh, in the first leg, they would be delighted. How crucial is the return, assuming he's back for these big games, of as Ruben Diaz? Do you see him as a sort of key player? Well, he is because he's a, he's a stalwart in that, in that middle of the, uh, of the defence. But, uh, you know, you, you need to get him in, into a, um, a match fitness situation. No, I don't want him just coming off the, the, uh, the treatment bench and then standing on the pitch ready to play. You know, at the, the latter end of the season, you know, he'd be expected to be in, in tip-top shape. So I'm, well, I'm just not sure about being a, um, an understanding of hamstrings myself. I was a class actor. I'm, literally, I'm a hamstringologist. I've had memory of them. And I know exactly what they're like. Um, they've got to be tread very carefully. You know, they've got to make sure the the the, um, the injury is completely healed. They can't have a ninety percent uh, situation where he's ninety percent fit. That'll be no good with hamstrings, especially with some of the opposition who are coming off, especially Liverpool, who are coming at us with a bit of pace up front. Well, we'll perhaps talk a little bit more about what's to come later on. Then let me bring in Harlan and Adam. Um, Harlan, um, you've heard what Dennis has got to say. What what? Where do you think City are at at the moment? I mean, are you brimming full of confidence? Did the Palace game affect you at all? Or did the Southampton put put that right? How, how are you feeling at the moment? Um, if I'm honest with you, Ian, I think I think at this stage in the season, I think it comes down to percentages. And, and, and what I mean by that is, I mean, a percentage within your own capabilities. And the point I'm trying to make is that I think we're actually performing at around 65% of our best, our absolute best. I'm talking 17-18 all season, bar the odd game that Dennis is referring to against the side that are maybe going to, you know, capitalise on a mistake, early doors and open the scoring. Um, and probably that 14-game winning run in 18-19 where we were absolutely phenomenal for 14 games on the bounce with the pressure on, no room to slip whatsoever. Um and at the moment, I think we're performing at 65% maybe of that, just a bit more than half of our actual capabilities. And Liverpool, if I'm honest, playing their brand of football, so not, not comparable to what we play, because it is different. They're a very um, counter-attacking based side that rely on losses of possession in the aid of capitalising on it. Whereas we, when we give the ball away, are at risk of, of, of suffering you know, against teams like that, but are predominantly um, possession-based, uh, quick tempo, but slow build-up in terms of looking for the correct entry into the attacking third. Uh, Liverpool really sometimes are a bit more ruthless with how they, they knock things in behind and whatnot. But they are at around 70% of their best. I don't think they're playing really well from what I saw. I mean... They're giving the ball away. They're sloppy. They're uh, missing loads of chances. But when it comes down to it, they are putting away the, the, the crucial ones in big games, like the Crystal Palace game, 
where you need to just hit a shot, just crack something. The amount of times at the moment I'm seeing us in the Tottenham game, in the Arsenal game on New Year's Day, uh, the game against Everton, uh, the game against United, even, even though we won 4-1. Um, yesterday again, there's a pattern of things happening since New Year. And there's a lot in your vlog yesterday saying about New Year when, was when he started to feel like things started to change. I've got to agree, we've been a lot less ruthless since. We don't quite look like we're ticking how we normally would. Um, and we're giving the ball away too much. And in this last, whatever it is, I think it's, what is it? Is it nine, 10 games in total? Maybe 11, if I'm, if I'm wrong, correct me, Ian. We can't give the ball away like we are doing. We can't do that against Atletico Madrid. We certainly can't do it in either of the games against Liverpool. And we can't do it against some of the other sides we've got to play in the division because there's a lot of sides now that are going to want to be the team that beat City. Do you know what I mean? And that, that's where we are again. Other teams are going to be watching the fact we're only a point ahead now and thinking we can be the ones that deny City another title because we are the enemy and give Liverpool a second. Um, because not everybody is, is, a, is a hater of Liverpool. I think, I think we're, well, we're well under par at the moment. And to win 4-1 yesterday, for me, flattered us. I thought we were, we were undeserving of a 4-1 win. It was only the quality in the end from two individuals in Mahrez and Foden that actually managed to, to get us over the line and make it look more convincing. I thought we were poor yesterday. I actually thought Southampton had every right to take us to extra time. And I think if it had gone to extra time, we might have conceded another one. It's one of them, I think, you've got to be realistic here and we're not, we're not up to scratch at the moment, in my opinion. 4-1 or not, not up to scratch. Dennis is listening to this and he doesn't know you as well as I know you and you're normally quite a positive person and you're always saying all positive, hopeful, optimistic things and yet you've been, you know, quite down there. Can you see where he's coming from, Dennis? Well, yeah, because at the moment in time, as he's quite rightly said, we're not flowing like we know we can. But we've had a few bit, bits and pieces of injuries, you know, had um, Deus not in, in, in and out. We've had changes at the back. We had Kyle Walker suspension for the Champions League. So we have had a few changes in and around. Um, Phil Foden was out for a couple of weeks, a couple of games. You know, so it depends on what system he wants to play in. I'm not quite sure about this force number nine, who's the best one we can play up there. Um, and, and Raheem's not played regular either. So I just have a little bit of concern on what's up. Well, at the moment, what, what our best team selection is to, 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 to enjoy the way we play or to be successful the way we play. So that's my little bit of concern. What would be our, I mean, you know, I was at, in, in Porto for the Champions League final and we all know about um, Pep overthought the tactics for that particular game. We well, seemed to overthink it. And then once we went behind, we didn't have a plan B. So sometimes he, he does get in his own little, um, which is good in, in some ways, but sometimes he does get deep in thought about things and, um, Sometimes it's sometimes better to, to keep it simple and just rely on what the strengths we have done. Don't try not to see the weaknesses. I don't want to pigeonhole anybody here, but um, Adam's normally the one who's a little bit circumspect in his views. I don't say critical, but circumspect. Uh, Harlan's usually the overflowing optimist. Our reverse our role's going to be reversed, Adam. Here, I mean, where do you stand on all this? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I agree we've not been at our best, but um, I think it's been massively overplayed, this idea that Liverpool are hunting us down. And I read somewhere the other day they closed the gap by 17 points on us. And when I looked at the table, we've actually only dropped 17 points all season. So I don't quite understand how that's possible. 
Uh, and I looked at the table on Christmas Day and we were three points clear. So, in, you know, in three or four months, they've closed the gap from three to one. So I, I don't accept that this, this idea that we're staggering towards the finish line and they're galloping um, and catching us up. I think we are the best team um, when we play well. Um, and I think with City, because we're so used to playing well at the moment, that when we do put in a couple of under-par performances, everyone seems to panic. Um, I would I would hope that the derby had, had put a bit of that to bed. And while I accept that for a long time yesterday, the game was tight, we, we did get four goals in the end. Um, and I had a feeling yesterday that Pep, who doesn't, you know, he's been a, he's been taking some criticism for not making substitutions when 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 games are level with late on, and he made a load of substitutions yesterday, and I couldn't help feeling that yesterday was the audition for the running, um, and that he's now it's clear it seems clear to me what's the, what's the best eleven for the running, and I think, you know, you got say say uh, Stones and Laporte were auditioning there to see who partners Ruben in the running, and I think it's clear Stones won that. I think Jesus, who I, who I do love. I don't think we'll see a great deal of him for the rest of the season, but Sterling stayed on. So I think Pep was kind of clarifying in, clarifying in his own mind his, his 11 for the running. And I think the, the 11 pretty much picks itself as far as I'm concerned. You could maybe, you could say Grealish or Sterling possibly on the left. That's a debating point, but the rest of it I'd say picks itself. And that team went fresh. De Bruyne back looking, looking better than he's done for most of the season is the best team in England and hopefully in Europe too. Lots of optimism then from, from you. I mean, you mentioned the false nine concern that you had before, Dennis, and didn't think Phil Foden was necessarily the false nine. Who is then? I mean, do, do you play with one? Do you play with two? And, and is it a big miss? Is it going to cost City dearly that they haven't signed a nine rather than playing with a false nine? Yeah, when we first uh, started playing the false nine, it was quite successful. You know, we, we did we did have a good run with that with the uh, the, the uh, movement because no matter you can talk for false nines, but if you look right across the front line, even into the uh, the attacking midfield, they're very mobile, very interactive um, in, in in exchanging positions, and that's what causes the opposition um, trouble because they can't pick up anyone because the movement's so good. I mean, even sometimes Grealish moves inside and comes inside. So the false number nine is not not what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about what we do in the last third and how quickly we do it. Um, because if, we get, if our build-up tempo is slow, the opposition pack the defence and there's no space to play. Now, keep, when, when we have a build-up, build the tempo is slow, I keep wishing for David Silva because he can find those little holes in the defence, you know, the little 10, 15-yard ball uh, passes where Sergio will be just spinning off the, the defender into little holes and, uh, and then you find space that way because that's what they were good at. But... Uh, you know, certainly, it's a slightly different uh, way we play now, but I'm, I'm I'm quite confident going into the 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 last third of the season. Really, everything's pass, pass, pass with City. And when you played, Dennis, you ran at people. Does City miss somebody that that does that? I mean, in in theory, that's what Sterling does, isn't it? But fans get frustrated with him when he loses the ball. Yeah, because sometimes the one thing that Raheem has is dynamic pace. Now, when you've got dynamic pace, you need space to be able to use your dynamic pace running into it. And if our tempo is so slow, and you can see the opposition to double up on them, one goes to close them down, the other one takes the space behind. Therefore, there's no space for them to, to run into. So that's what um, I'm always a bit wary of, of, of our tempo when Raheem's there. 
the thing about Ryan, get the ball to him quickly, get him one on one, space behind, and let him run out the defenders. And and for me, I mean, even sometimes when he when he is got on one side, you get Cancelo on the overlap because the overlap is one of the most potent forms of attack in the last third. Because the whole idea, when you come from a deep line position and an overlap, and you're running into space, and you then you're in behind the defense, which defenders hate that, you know. So the overlap can, I mean, with when we had them. Um, Pablo and uh, Jesus Navas down the right. And you'd find Pablo would be doing an underlap if Navas got the ball and he was closed down. Then you see Pablo coming on, on, on an underlap uh, and supporting him going in space behind the defender. <clears throat> so that is an option for us, but, but certainly, certainly Raheem is the one with that dynamic pace. Arsenal used to, under Arsene Wenger particularly, used to get um, criticised a lot for overpassing and overplaying around the penalty area and not having shots. Now, I know that, I, I remember when Kazu Dana came into City and he didn't want to waste a shot when he had a chance because he came from a different culture. We need, now seem to have a team as good as it is, as brilliant as it is, who, apart from the odd shot from Rodri, maybe, um, you know, and you, you do see Carl Walker and Cancelo have an odd pot, we haven't got somebody, and I bring it back to you again, Dennis, because I used to love you having a shot. You did that with fearlessly when you played. We don't have enough players, do we, in the City team who are prepared to try and win a game or score a goal by having a shot. Is it, you know, Am I right? And is that a fear of, of just not scoring? Well, no, because the systems are different now. Uh, as I said, the opposition now pack the defence. And sometimes when you're watching from the terraces, it looks as if it's easy. There's lots of space, but when you've got your, when you're down uh, grass, grass level, and you can see just bodies and faces in front of you, you know sometimes it's not as easy to, to see that space. That we we we're all the experts in the terrace and the terraces, aren't we? And we can see shoot shoot, but when you're down there and you've got your head on the ball, and you can see two or three defenders in front of you. You can't see any space there. Um, I mean, Kevin Kevin's scored some terrific goals from just outside the box, and Modri scored a, a magnificent goal a few games ago at the. Uh, the Eddie had from way outside the box, you know. So they do do it, but uh, they're still looking for that that intricate pass. You talk about people having overviews. I know that Harlem watches the game at the Etihad from ground level, probably actually quite a little bit below ground level where you where you stand at that end, uh, Harlan. Um, what, what's your view on this? I think I think um, my, my my annoyance is I'm not asking for shots. Pot shots. I'm a massive Gundogan fan. Go back three and a half years, Ian. We all did a podcast at the uh, at the Holiday Inn, Central Park. We did a, a podcast about Ilkay Gundogan. I think it was me, you, Louisa, and Paul. I think it was in the room. Uh, we waxed lyrical about Gundogan, a player that was under absolute immense criticism from City fans. Uh, Paul was talking about a bloke behind him, uh, calling him every week, saying he's poor, saying he he's too slow, he's passive. Um, and we we literally waxed lyrical for I think it was around 10 minutes about Ilkay Gundogan and that he was a future player and somebody well beyond his years and that in a couple of years time under Pep Guardiola he would become the perfect all-round midfielder that would pick up the ball from the holding midfielder that would help work it into that final third that would arrive late and score goals and well it came true so give us our crystal balls please because uh, we deserve them but I think, for me, it's all about knowing when to shoot and when not to shoot. Um, Sterling got himself in three, four positions yesterday. 
that Aguero would have probably ripped the net off three out of the four times. And I think that's the annoyance for me. It's not that I want us to shoot when the shot isn't on. It's that we will play ourselves out of so many final phase opportunities. And the, the key thing there is final phase opportunities. When the shot is about to be executed, we will go, nah, you're all right. We don't want the goal. We don't want it to be that easy. We'll knock it to Gundawan to Jesus, and then play it in between the lines to Gundawan, who will then finish it at the near post or have his shot saved or miss. Because Salasu, for example, for Southampton, has got back in. We've allowed him the opportunity to get back in because the trigger's not been pulled and they get away with one. And we give teams in the Premier League and in the Champions League so many let-offs, it is untrue. When you're just looking for somebody to score, even if it's a trickler, even if it's just a, 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 a smash strike that hits someone on the bum cheek and goes in, like a Salah or a Mane or a Firmino or a, a Fabinho or whoever it might be, some of Liverpool's goals, if you look to Liverpool's goal tally in a season, I'd, I'd say that 60% of them goals are probably not what they were meant to be. They're definitely not executed the way they were meant to be executed, nor have they gone in the net like they should have done. And four, probably not the shot the player wanted to hit. But at the end of the day, Klopp's saying, I want goals, so score me goals. And I think sometimes the players take Pep too literally with the pass, pass, pass and the possession-based recycling uh, of possession demand from him. And they almost do something that they think Pep wants, that he actually, if they asked him, he doesn't want. Um, I'll just carry on a sec. I asked Ian Everett this question, the Bolt Wanderers manager. He's trying to emulate Pep Guardiola and Klopp uh, and Johan Cruyff's philosophy. I think he's read his book at Bolt Wanderers. And to be honest with you, as the season's gone on, they had a bit of a dip. They've started to get a couple of players in in January. They've started to try and get this possession-based style moving again. And it's actually looking really good now. Couple of losses, couple of draws, uh, wins as well. Um, it's not perfect, but he is trying to get his team playing on the front foot and in possession and being efficient with the ball. But I spoke to him the other week and asked him a question, and I said to him, "Ian, sometimes do your players take you literally? You know, your Alpha Lions and your 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 Dempseys, and do they overplay sometimes? And are you asking them to do that because you're asking them to play this way? And in a roundabout way, if I paraphrase him because I can't remember exactly what he said." He said, I want the players to play to the philosophy and to the style and adhere to it as much as possible. But it's a bit like what Pep said. I'll get you to the final third and whatever happens in the final third ultimately comes down to you. If you think that the shot is the best option and you can see it from grass level, take the shot on. If it's not and you think that you can work that ball better so that your shot isn't a 40% shot, but the receptive person at the other end of the box or the other side of the box has got a 90% chance of scoring, can you try and work it? If not, score. And I think sometimes the players are taking Pep, Everett, Klopp, whoever it may be, a bit too literally. But I wouldn't say Klopp, actually, because they just rifle the ball, wouldn't they? Adam? That's not, that's not bad philosophy, that oh, yeah. Dennis. You know, once you get in the last third, you, you, it's, it's got to be down to the individual. The person who's got that split-second decision to make, when because chances, you don't get a chance where you can sit on the ball for 30 seconds. You know, when the ball comes to you in that last third, or even around the box, you know, you, it's that instinctive. You, you, you've got to always remember um, Brian Clough's phrase, it only takes a moment to score a goal. You know, and that's, that's exactly what happens in the, in, the, in the penalty area. It only takes a moment to score a goal. But you've got to be, you've got to be brave enough to take that gamble. You know, as, as Harlan said, sometimes you think, well, 
go and take a gamble, have a go, you know, just try it and see where it comes off. And because uh, sometimes I, I've been in the, in the penalty box myself, and the ball's company when all of a sudden just go bang. You know, sometimes it might go in, it might not go in, but at least instinctively you've, you've, you've made that decision. Adam? Yeah, I've got to say, I don't quite feel the same, really. I mean, I'm, I'm happy with the, the fact that we're creating enough chances. I mean, think back to that derby game. De Gea made about four pretty decent saves. We hit the woodwork a couple of times. We scored a hat full of goals. Um, and we're doing all this without a striker. And we all know that the... The old cliche is putting the ball in the back of the net is the hardest thing, and that's why they cost the big money to buy these strikers. And we haven't got one at the moment. So I think, given that we haven't got one, that we're playing these false nines or midfielders across the front, I think we're doing. I think we're doing fine. I know we've had a couple of blanks, but um, we've, we've outscored Liverpool. I think every season since the year dot, apart from this season, and we're not that far behind them this season. And we might end up passing them this season anyway. So you know, I don't expect that Gundogan or Sterling or Bernardo is going to finish like Sergio Aguero because unfortunately those you know Sergio Aguero's aren't ten a penny. Um, we're creating the chances. I'd be more worried if we weren't if we weren't missing chances and we weren't creating chances. I'm, I'm, I've no problem on that front. Yeah, for you. No, you're, you're dead right, Adam. But what I would say, talk about, everybody talks about this force number nine. If you look at um, Liverpool, if you look at um, uh, Chelsea, they really they've got a, they've got force nines. Indirectly, Kai, Kai Havertz is not a front man. I mean, because never he's been in and out of the team, he's not been regular. Havertz has been there in front of them. And the same Liverpool have got who plays up front there? They've got Marnie, Salah, you know, Firmini, Jota. Nobody stands up in the middle, you know. So it's, it's the mobility. It's you've, you've still got the positions on the field. Whether you've got a, a guy wearing wearing the number nine takes the position, or a guy wearing the number eleven, or a guy wearing number eight, it's the balance of a team situation. In the team, so you've got a good spread of, of, of individuals across the, the pitch. So you've got stretching the opposition. So you're not in a clump, not all standing around in one position. So whether whether you wear number eleven, nine, or four, it's it's where the positions of the individual players are on the pitch as you as you're developing it, and that's that's more important really because it's the balance of the uh, of the team. It, that's why we got caught in, the, in my view in the Porto game against Chelsea. You know, we had at one stage because we had phone and playing the first number nine. At one stage, Mares wasn't getting the ball, and he went inside. And for about ten minutes, second half, there was Mares, Kevin De Bruyne, and Phil Foden, and you could have thrown a blanket over them. You know, we had no, we weren't stretching Chelsea at all, and we just got in each other's way trying to get the ball. So you know, it's just not who who go, not who's there, but where he stands and where he where he pulls the opposition team around and, and creating the space. That's why if you look at Liverpool. You know, with Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, they stretch the pitch all the time. The back four, the opposition back four. And once you get them stretched like that, then you've got the likes of Mane, Salah, and Fermani, Yotta, they can get in these little holes. And that's what that's what you want them moving for. There's a couple of things to come back there, though, Dennis, if I can. And one is, um, it's particularly the Chelsea game, it's more about when we haven't got the ball than when we have got the ball. And Chelsea were running through that midfield and Gundogan, although he looks tidy when we've got the ball, he's, he's a passenger when, when he's trying to defend the ball and they were just running through that midfield. And the other thing I'd say, sometimes we don't stretch the pitch enough because we, we play the ringers, these inverted wingers. And if Sterling was on the yeah. right and Maris was on the left, there'd be a lot more space yeah. for those people around the D. Yeah, well, I've, read, I've read both of Pep's books, Pep Revolution, Pep Evolution, and I know exactly what he's trying to do. On the, in fact, there's a story about Thierry Henry when he was at Barcelona with Pep. Pep had asked him to, to pull wide, pull wide, pull wide. And just before half time, and he tells the story himself. He made a run inside the fullback down 
in the inside uh, left channel down the centre forward. The ball was played to him and he scored. He took him off at half time. Yeah. That's what I was. I, that's what I was. I was going to literally. I was thinking the same thing. I've told that on. I've mentioned that on the pod before, Dennis, and that was what I mean about. You know, he wants discipline, doesn't he? And he wants you to stay in your position and trust your teammates. I think he said in the book, didn't he, Pep? Trust your teammates and stay in position. The ball will yeah. come. And Henri yeah. had got frustrated because the ball wasn't coming. So he thought, I need to take it upon myself to arrive in the centre, in the final third, and capitalise on something that ordinarily wouldn't come. But yeah. I think, I think I, I, I've got to reinforce this point again, Ian. It's, it's, it's Liverpool beat Tottenham when they get back to two all. Liverpool beat Everton with some of the chances we created that we played ourselves out of because Mane, Salah, Jota or Firmino don't play the extra pass. They just smash yeah. it and they get the ball in the onion bag, as my granddad had said, and get it over and done with. Then you can play your pretty patterns and that. I love what we do. I love our football, but I'd much prefer to watch it when we're already 1-0 up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, 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 and sometimes we, we want to play it until, like against Palace, Pep wanted to play it right up until the 93rd minute, hoping that in the 93rd minute we got the goal that would win the game. When we could have got the goal at 60 by maybe changing something up a tiny bit, not, not breaking out of philosophy, because that can damage a team. That would also then, and Dennis knows more than me about this being a professional player in his career, that if a manager shows any sign of weakness to players, the players then will wonder why the manager then reverts back to his philosophy because he's shown a, a reluctance to stick to it just to get a result. So I can see why Pep doesn't want to do that, but it's small tweaks. It's maybe just saying to Sterling, next time you get inside your man, don't look left or don't look right, pull the trigger, get us yeah. one up, and then go back to doing what you were doing before. Just yeah. little adaptations. And sometimes we let the chance pass us by. Liverpool also, um, they score more than us against United with the chances we created. Um I'm not a massive Liverpool advocate, but I just think that in moments in games, they are much more ruthless than we are in positions that we both arrive in. And that yeah, for me that, is the difference. But that's because they have the ball less than us, Harlan, now. <laughs> We're the possession team. They're the counter-attacking team. We have the ball. If we play Liverpool and we have the ball for 80 minutes, then they ain't going to score any goals. No, but in that, Adam, what I mean is when both teams arrive in the box and the ball comes across the six-yard box, Instead of stopping the ball like Sterling would, taking the extra touch and then knocking it back inside to Foden or whoever's arriving on the edge of the six-yard box, Salah knocks the ball in, doesn't even bend it, doesn't even try and execute the perfect strike. He just stabs at it or he pokes it home or he just rattles it into the side netting on the inside of the goalie. He's not bothered about how the goal looks in that area of the pitch. The goal is the goal, and that's all that matters to him. And I think that I'm, I do think Salah's overrated. But what I would say he does is he definitely, definitely always punishes the opposition for mistakes and doesn't care about how he punishes them, just that he does. And sometimes, I mean, you said about the goals, and I get it, we are flying in terms of the amount of goals we've scored again this season. But we could have scored, if we're honest, with more chances missed, around 130 with the key clear chances. We could score 160 goals a season if every single clear-cut chance went in. So we're performing below our own standards in terms of creating all them chances and not putting enough away for me. 
Yeah. But I am optimistic about the season. I think we'll win the league. I think we'll go all the way to the final in the Champions League. And I honestly think we'll win the FA Cup. But it's going to be some ask. Yeah. It's a good well, show. Let me ask you a couple of questions, Dennis, um, more specific to you. And we'll come back to what's ahead in a few moments. Um, you were a, a terrific player, had a couple of spells at City. Um, and then you went on later in your life to be a director. You're instrumental in so many key things that have happened at City. Um, what other thing? What what would you say are the things or the thing that you're most proud of in, with your association with City? That picture behind you. That picture behind you, that new stadium, because when I became a director in ninety seven, ninety eight, uh, and the club the club was in an absolute shambles. You know the whole thing we were in so much debt. The structure of the business was poor. We had manager after manager after manager, player after player. A lot of players were in there on. Uh, paying being on, on two two grand a contract for where, where we were, so we had and we knew we had to get in the uh, in the stadium. We were in 2003, we had to be in the stadium in the Premier League, and that's been my biggest. When I look behind you and see that stadium and I see where Manchester City, you know, because the group of us, the board of directors, between '98 and 2003, if hadn't done all the right things and made the right decisions and um, empowered the fans to come and, and join us on the journey to where we wanted to be and very truthful with them, you know, we wouldn't have had that stadium. I would, certainly wouldn't have been uh, where we are now because the, the, all the, the various owners, Tax and Shinawata, followed by the Abu Dhabi Corporation, there was nothing to buy. You know, there's no potential, no, no flagship, no stadium. You know, so that's probably apart from what I did in 1976 with my team there, but, but a great team there. We had finished second in the uh, Division One in 1977. We had a great side there, but we didn't take it on. And, you know, I went off and did other things. But when I came back as a director, that, that thing behind you, I get fantastic pride in seeing that and all my little things that my contributions to that to that stadium and that team during those five or six years. You can probably give us a little insight into what happened there because as I remember it, certainly away from City, uh, Bob Scott, Sir Bob Scott, uh, was the bidder for the Olympics. I think they went to Sydney. And then he decided to, to do it for the Commonwealth Games as well. And obviously, we, we ended up with the, the legacy, if you like, of this stadium. But from your point of view, from the city point of view, from a director's point of view, how, how did that process work? And how influential were you in, in that system? Well, the, the system had already, the, the process had already started when I became a director. You know, we had talk with Howard Bernstein, um, the, the government. The Commonwealth Games Committee, you know, we had, we had the, the club had, had conversations with all those. And um, in fact, the stadium site was already proposed. But after that, we had to make the reality. Um, and we had to get the, the club in, in, in fit enough shape and be big enough and proud enough to move into that new stadium and give the fans something for them to, to their, their, their shrine, if you mean, if you want to mention a sort of shrine where they can go worship their team. And I always remember the, uh, the opening game, uh, the test event. I think I've mentioned this before. We played a friendly against Barcelona. We had 35,000 people in the stadium because it was a test event. We couldn't go to full capacity. But it was a beautiful day. And then just seeing Man City walking out alongside Barcelona and looking around the stadium. And we had all the new kit and all the fans had the new kit on of covered in blue. And I thought, that's it. That's where Manchester City should be. And I was delighted and proud to be a part of that process. How close did City come then to not quite fulfilling the potential that they're showing now? Because it seems hard to believe that post Main Road and in the new stadium, 
there were a lot of financial problems behind the scenes before tax in Shinawatra and then eventually the Sheikh uh, took the club to where they are now. Gillingham. <laughs> One word, Gillingham. Um, because we knew what we'd, uh, we'd, we'd, we'd set up a structure. We had a great, you know, David Burns was great chairman of John Wardle on, on board. I brought in Chris Burr as a PR officer. Uh, we had Ashley, Ashley Lewis and Alastair McIntosh on the board. Brian Bodek joined us as, from a legal point of view. We, we had a real tight board, but we were all wanting one thing in that success for Manchester City. And we all had designated responsibilities across all the structure. And we, we all had good skill sets that fitted that structure. You know, you, you, as you well know, Chris Bird did a fantastic job uh, on the PR side. And I, I put a scheme together to en engage with the fans to get them on board. Um, and they, they joined us. And, you know, you hear stories about them now when we used to go to Lincoln's and Macclesfield's and York. And, but they were there. You know, that, that allowed us the time um, to turn the thing around because, it was a, as I said earlier, it was a shambles. Absolute shambles. But if we hadn't have got, we had to get out that division in one, one go. Uh, and thankfully we did. Uh, and Gillingham with a fantastic performance by, by the lads on the pitch. And uh, after that, you know, we were just building and building slowly. We got a setback when we were relegated from the Premier League. Um, but then we brought Kevin in. And Kevin, you know, just give us that little boost for the next two or three years again to get to, to build that good foundation. And Adam and Harlan, I mean, they know what like. They, they've been a part of that journey as well, I'm sure. Given, given what you've just said about the most thing that makes you the most proud is that stadium and your achievements actually off the field rather than as a player because I loved watching you as a player one of my all-time favourite players such an exciting player to watch and yet you you picked the off field were, were there sleepless nights Dennis did you have ever have a genuine concern that this club would, wouldn't continue existing absolutely before before um Nicky Weaver saved that final penalty at Gillingham and reservations because I knew we were carrying so much debt. We were carrying so much top-heavy players. Some of the players were on silly contracts. And I remember one of my first games, I sat in the director's room, Main Road, the director's box at Main Road watching the game. And I looked and the players who sat behind the box, who weren't even on the bench, and there was about £13,000 a week sat on the, on the bench, not, not taking part, not making a contribution whatsoever to the club. And I thought, you know, don't forget, in 1998, £13,000 was a lot, a lot of money. Um, and we, 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 you can't just throw players' contracts out the window. You know, you have to work it through. You have to then replace them. You know, so it was, a, it was an evolution, which well, it was a short-term revolution, but a long-term evolution. Um, and it took us, it took us five years, I said, to get back in the Premier League. And then we had a couple of consolidation years after that with Kevin. And then, obviously, Kevin ran out of steam, you know, and then we ran out of money and then we needed more finance. And that's why Tax and Chinawata came in. You know, so there was a lot of evolutionary things there. But in the early stage, it was short-term revolution because we had to make some difficult decisions and uh, try and manage the finances. Here we are discussing how good City are on the field, what the trophies they can win. Um, I, I, just, I just wonder whether you think what City are now under this ownership is as near perfection as the football club could ever have dreamed of being. Oh, without question. And, and the strategy, and I've said this many, many times, the strategy they've put in place um, over the last probably five or six years has been first class. You know, that we're now the City Football Group. We've got um, clubs all over the world um, and they can all interact with each other and they can all work with each other, developing players, players on loan, um, purchasing players. 
you know, so the, the strategy is fantastic, you know. And I think I think it's been announced today by Deloitte that we are the number one money maker in the in the, the world of football, six hundred and sixty million euros, which is the first time we've been number one. We only did Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and, and United behind us. So it's testimony to the strategy that um, the Abu Dhabi Corporation has put in place, and the the executives uh, across the City Football Group, you know, did a fantastic job. I just love it. Well, on behalf of the City fans listening to this, and certainly from my point of view, thanks for the part that you've played on the field and off the field. Just let me ask you one question to to finish this little section, because you've not mentioned what you did on the field very much here. What's your proudest moment on the field for Manchester City? Is it that overhead kick that you've got on the picture on the wall behind you? Yeah, well, I think it has to be, you know, because, you know, I said this many times to supporters, Francis, when I go out and meet them, you know, your, your career, you get limited opportunities to, to uh, put something in your treasure box and say, I was successful here, there, I was successful there. Uh, and the three main trophies that I won was 1973, uh, someone beating Leeds 1-0, FA Cup final, 76 uh, with City against Newcastle, which is my hometown team, which is added extra spice to it, you know. Uh, and then 1978, when I went to New York and we won the South American, we went in the North American Soccer League Championship. Um, so, you know, all these things, uh, I'm very proud of that because, but each time, each time I, was, I had a great bunch of lads as well, you know, heard Harlan and Adam talking about teams. Um, I, I had a great bunch of lads, really high quality, um, demanding, uh, intense, you know, and really positive. Um, and there was some one or two um, killers in those teams as well. You know, it wasn't all, it wasn't all frills. You know, we had to have we had to have the the hard biter ones. You know, the Ace of Hartfords of the world could put his foot in. Mike Doyle, Dave Watson, you know, real quality players. Played with Dave both at Sunderland and Manchester City. Um, players like that. You know, we had some quality. Each team we had, I had uh, in New York, I had with fans Beckenbauer and Carlos Alberto. You can't get better than that. You know, um, Carlos World Cup winner with Brazil. Franz World Cup winner with uh, Germany, you know, and even when I went over there, you know, the demand that the, the demands that they put on themselves and the rest of the teammates was still to be winners, and that's what you need. And you know, you look around our team, we've got some winners, and that's what you need. You know, leaders and winners in the team. The more leaders and winners you have in your team, the better, you, more successful you'll be. Well, without that you, is, but I, I might. Have, you. I, I, I'm sure I would have gone to America, but. Um, Perhaps without you, I would have I wouldn't have took that first step because I went over to watch you play for New York Cosmos. Saw you twice with Beckenbauer and Carlos Alberto. As far as I'm concerned, even though you scored that brilliant goal at Wembley, probably scored the greatest goal I've ever seen for Brazil in 1970 in the World Cup final. But to see you playing over there in the Giant Stadium and uh, and still with the little tabs out of the socks and still run up and down and 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 being the Dennis Stewart I love was a great uh, joy. So um, thanks very much for all that, Dennis. Uh, obviously, Harlan, go on. You wanted to to come in. Yeah, so, Dennis, um, did you uh, just answer me one question? If you can, did you ever think about chesting it down, taking the extra touch, and then recycling <laughs> possession? No. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. I'm back on your. I'm back on your side, mate. I'm back on your side. You know what I mean? Like, like, like. Obviously, it was a beautiful goal, but if it flew over the bar, I think Pepper would have been taking you off at half time. I was. I was. <laughs> I was a one touch finish, mate. You're enjoying it. I was a one touch finisher. See, and you didn't even think about it, did you? You just thought, nowhere I want to go. Bang. I had this conversation with Dennis Law, who was my boyhood hero, and I was great. I played with him for a few months when I signed, 
And uh, we talked about goal scoring. We, I did a couple of set when one son was married. We did a couple of shooting sessions, and he was fantastic. And he was your one-touch scorer. It wasn't one-touch finish. It was one-touch one score. He was fantastic. I had this conversation with him. He said, well, he said, well, Dennis, he says, you know where the goal is. The goal doesn't move. You know, you know where it is. When the ball comes, you just got to get your body in the position to get some, some contact with the ball and you know where the, the, the goal is and just let it go. Sometimes, as you say, it might go over the, over the bar one time, but sometimes might get a, might get a look at it, might just flash in the top corner. Great question, Harlan. I, I don't know if this is myth or truth, so I'm going to ask it you anyway. It can't certainly be true, can it, that you were named after Dennis Law, the player you just mentioned, but, but by mistake they put an extra N in your name. Is that right? Dennis? Oh, it's not me. No, no. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Dennis Law with one N, you with two Ns. You know, <laughs> was it a mistake and you were named after him? No, no. That was, that was a proper D-E-W-N-I-S, yeah, proper. In fact, there was either Derek, either Derek or Dennis, and it was uh, mum and dad chose Dennis. I thought it was a myth, so we've just uh, we've just destroyed that myth. Uh, I right, know let's that story use, about uh, uh, Dennis Bergkamp being. Oh, yeah, could it? Yeah, <laughs> Dennis Bergkamp's 2N, isn't it? Yeah, oh, that's a story about him, yeah. yeah. He could have been, been named after me. I don't know. Oh, that's yeah, true, Dennis. Yeah, no, you're not that I think old. he was. I think he was. <laughs> Let's start a new myth. I should say, by the way. Was the inspiration for Dennis Bergkamp's mum and dad. De Dennis, you're still as fit as you were when you, you could probably go out from there and play, couldn't you? You, you seem to me to be as fit as a butcher's dog, as they say. In my mind, yeah. I like, enjoy the gym. I go to the gym three, four times a week. Uh, I've always been the same. Um... In fact, I've always been the same in training. You know, when I was a when I was a player, I wasn't a happy drinker. Not really a drinker at all now. Just a, a glass of wine, but uh, never a drinker. Um, in fact, there was a story Asa and um, Willie Donicky was telling of a year or so ago. When when I signed, Asa signed. Asa Hartford signed just just after me, and we stayed at a local hotel, the Brookhouse Hotel, on, on Winslow Road before we had uh, our houses moved into. And Willie said, "I said, Asa, let's take the new player for a drink." So they took me to the, uh, to the bar and they said, uh, when I got there, I said, hey, I don't drink. I'm strong enough to refuse drink. <laughs> and this is Asa and Willie looked at each other and thought, bloody hell, what's he on about? Uh, so they got, they got the message pretty quick. But uh, I think my, my focus was, was on the game. I just, I, I, I loved training. In, uh, you know, when I was a player, I just loved training. Um, so, you know, it, it's like a meal you I love climbing the video and conference production business and I work with presenters and I help them make their presentations. And when you, when you uh, talk about the presentations, you, you learn little phrases. And the one phrase is, you know, uh, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. You know, so the more work you put in on preparation, the better you've got in it is, is Holland. So maybe you should do some more shooting and on, on training in the training pitch, it may it, um, matches the city. Very true. Right, well, we'll use the rest of the what's what's left of the podcast now to look ahead. Uh, obviously, we're in international break at, at the moment, so it's uh, it's the calm before the storm. But after these uh, two weeks are over, um, and by the way, there will be a podcast next week. Just to, just while I'm thinking about it, uh, I've been speaking to Craig Cash, the actor, the comedian. Um, so you'll be able to hear the interview that I've done with Craig, uh, and also I'm hoping to speak to somebody from City Matters in the next couple of days. So the, the two things will be put together and that will be the podcast next week in the international break. But when we return from the international break, we start with a game at Burnley. And then as you probably know, it's Atletico, Liverpool, Atletico, Liverpool. 
I'll ask Dennis this question last. So I'll, I'll ask the other two first of all. Uh, let's start with uh, with Adam this time. Um, I mean, you know that Sky are going to be saying the title decider and everything when it comes to that game. Um, is it the title decider? Um, how do you feel? I mean, you feel that City are going to and Liverpool are both going to do what they did in that season when it was 199 points where it's win, 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 win and it's all about just one mistake or one crucial game. How, how do you feel about what lies ahead? It could, I mean, it could be, or, you know, anyone can drop any points any time. I do feel like it's a big game because um, I sort of live in fear of playing Liverpool. And I think the reason I'm in fear of playing them is because deep down, I think we're the better side. And so I feel like we've got more to lose when we play them. I think if you go back to the, we talked about the Champions League final before, I think on the day of that game, I think City fans were probably more nervous than Chelsea fans because we were the favourites to win. And I feel the same about playing Liverpool, whether it's in the league or in the FA Cup, or God forbid, in the Champions League, that, that we should just beat them because we're better than them. Um, so I want it to be the title decider because I want it, we, I thought we played them off the park at their place and, and, and we ended up with the draw. I want to play them off the park at our place and just and just prove who's the best. I was, talk, I was talking to Stuart Brennan from the Evening News who I travelled to the Southampton game with. And when we you know, heard the FA Cup draw and knew that City were going to play at Wembley in the semi-final, I looked at him and, and I knew he was thinking the same as me. And I said, and obviously Dennis might have a view on this, but when you play the same team pretty quickly, one after the other, and they're both crucial games, it seems to me rare that anybody wins both of those games. You know, that so, and obviously it could be a draw between City and Liverpool in the league game, which would then, you know, make that slightly a different story. But to me, playing two quick games like that, you, you often don't repeat the results. So do you feel that as well, Adam? From the way you're reacting, you, it looks like you probably agree with that. Yeah, it, it is a fair point. But then also you've got to factor in that there's the Champions League as well around there. So people's emotions, you know, if one of us goes through and one of us goes out there, for example, that will skew things wildly as well. I mean, yeah. you've got to just the old cliche one game at a time. I and mean, this is the business end. Every game is huge. Um you know, and we can go, we can draw, we can draw at home to Liverpool in the league, beat them in the cup, and go on to win the double. It, you know, that could still happen. Uh, I just want to beat them every time I play them, though. <laughs> Alan, go on, let, let's see I, what I, you I, think. Hope, hope, hope everybody in that dressing room before the games against Liverpool and, and have the same attitude as Adam. Because that's the way <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to be positive. You've got to go for it. It's no good sitting well. You know, we'll just hold and hold and maybe win that one and lose that. You've got to be so positive. But again, I'm just a little bit anxious about what team is because you you know what their best team is at Liverpool. I'm not sure whether if the four of us here would pick the same team for City to play Liverpool. I could pick Liverpool's team, but I would struggle to pick. I think I might get two or three wrong in the Man City team. I think it's yeah. quite clear now where Pep's going to go with these last few games team-wise. I think that was the big audition <laughs> against Southampton. I want to hear it, mate. I want to hear your select team selection. Well, Strongest 11, Adam. Diaz, yeah. Stones, uh, Walker, no, Cancelo. Walker back. Walker right back. Diaz, Stones. Then yeah, Cancelo. Cancelo uh, yeah. Rodri. Yeah. And then, and then you can choose who's going to play the number nine, but that, that front five, it's got to be Mares, for me, Sterling over Grealish, Bernardo, De Bruyne. Have I got one left? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I forgot who I've missed out on this False one. False nine, Ad. False nine. 
Yeah, yeah. Foden presumably Foden, would be Foden, Foden, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but we, I think he needs another midfield player. He's only got Rodri and De Bruyne in the midfield. Well, and Bernardo. Bernardo. So that'd be a three. So you play. So you wouldn't play Bernardo as a, I mean, but Bernardo can play the first nine as well. They can all change. They can change, interchange, can't they? I mean, Sterling's played there. Yeah, I'd have I'd have that four: Bernardo Silva, Sterling, Foden, and Mares. That'll be me, me four. Then a De Bruyne and Rodriguez. And Foden and Mares just passed pass with flying colours the other day, didn't they? They come off the bench and they just prove they need to be in the eleven. Yeah. See, I'd have I'd have Gundogan in that side and Fernandinho. <laughs> so that, yeah. that proves the point of not of of, of it, they're not being our team. Harlan, go Ian, on. You, Ian, now I would. Now I would. This is this is this is when I want Fernandinho to start the game against Liverpool and then be taken off at sixty when the game's out of sight. That's when I want Fernandinho in the team because not Rod. It's nothing to. It's not. Rodri's a great bloke. Do you know what I mean? A lot of people think I've got a vendetta against Rodri. He's a great football player. I think he'd make a mint centre half. Me, he'd be a really good centre half next to Stones as he matures. A bit like Mascherano did when he went to Barcelona from Liverpool. He turned into a centre half. Busquets will no, probably do the same, maybe in a year's time. That's the only. Pro that's the only concern I have if we play Liverpool. Is we, we're not dynamic pace at the, the two centre halves. None of our centre halves have got dynamic pace. Diaz, Stones, Laporte, uh, Ake. You know, we haven't got dynamic pace, whereas up against Liverpool, they've got dynamic pace up front. And if you put Gundogan in the middle there, you compound that problem. Yeah, correct. Yeah, you've got no pace at all in that. The, 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 the back five, you've got no pace. Because Rodgers not so quick that, that's, why, that's why, for me, I, what I'd do is, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd play Fernandinho because I think he's the best protector in front of a back yeah. four that we've got. Rodri's not as effective in that sense. He's improved, don't get me wrong, he's improved. And he's probably a better, probably a better, I don't, do you know what, is he? Is he, he's a nicer passer. Is he a better passer? Is he more progressive than Fernandinho? I don't think he is. It's only Fernandinho's legs. If Fernandinho was 25, there'd be no argument. Every Fernandinho is, one thing's for sure, Fernandinho's not going to play in four games against Atletico no. twice no. and no. Liverpool twice, is he? No. no. Um, Atletico Madrid is one of them where we are going to be allowed the ball and we will be allowed to get into that final third as much as we want and we're going to have to be creative. But we've yeah. got to be better in transition. They will have the ball. When they lose it, we've got to be quick. We've got to be efficient. But we've also got to be ruthless. And we've almost got to, and I don't like saying this, because this isn't how I, how I like to say it. And Adam's going to cringe up, because I'm cringing up saying it. But we <laughs> need to be more like Liverpool in certain instances, just like they sometimes need to be more like us in certain instances. Liverpool are sometimes faltering, in that middle third, where we'd be brilliant in getting to the box. And on the flip side, when we get into the final third, we're not as ruthless as they are, and they are. So I think what it is, is I think the two sides, the two sides are good at doing what they do. And would I have Liverpool's front three instead of ours with our midfield? Absolutely not. But... Do I think that with the players we've got, we could take a leaf out of their book like they could out of ours? At times, yes. Atletico Madrid are going to be a tough, a, 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 a tough test because they will come to ours and they will try and upset the apple cart. They're difficult to play against at home. They're very good on the ball, but they are also very robust. So we're going to need to be more physical with them. Yeah. The Liverpool game in the league and in the cup competition, in the FA Cup, of course, 
I treat the league game like the FA Cup and the cup like the league game in the sense <laughs> of treat it like a cup tie, yeah. but give it everything. It is the Champions League yeah. final as far as I'm concerned. Batter yeah. them. Win the league on that night because I think if Liverpool lose three points to anyone else, they would continue to be motivated right to the end of the season. If they lose three points against us, it's a massive dagger in the back. And then it's just getting through against Atletico and then knowing that they've got to face Bayern Munich on the other side of the draw. And I fancy oh. us to get to the final. How important do you think of that four-game uh, period, how important do you think of the first game? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Massive, massive. I'm talking because Liverpool still got to play Benfica twice, you know, so they've got that. So that four little game, four little game patch for both teams, how important is the first game? Well, the you first could probably answer that better, game. Dennis. You know, I, I think that's huge. I think it's huge. The first one is is crucial. Yeah, because you pick pick all the confidence up, and they, everybody gets a big boost going into because it's like every three days. We've got you know what? You know what's big, though, Ian? Sorry, Dennis. You know what's big, though? Going to turf more and basically using Burnley yeah. as yeah. a very, yeah. I think, use Burnley as a kind of. Atletico Madrid rehearsal. And that's going to sound weird. Why am I comparing Burnley to Atletico Madrid? Because they'll sit and they'll play a low block and they'll frustrate you. You can use Burnley as a training session for the Atletico yeah. Madrid game. Yes, better quality Atletico. I'm not saying that Burnley are anywhere near them. What I'm saying is in terms of the fundamental aspects of their style of play, it's a great test for us. Go Let there. Let me ask you this one then. Great Let me ask you this one, Harlan. Uh, Ruben Diaz, the other side of the international break, he's probably going to be fit again. And everybody seems to think that Ruben Diaz, you, you may have a different view, should be in for these big games that are coming up. So if he's fit, but he won't have played a game, do you play him for 90 minutes against Burnley, knowing that he's going to potentially play 90 minutes every three days in four big games after that? Yeah. Do you just play, bring him on as a sub? Do you, do you bring play him for 60 minutes and then take him off? You know what? What do you do with Ruben Diaz? I think what? I think we start him against Burnley and uh, take him off after sixty minutes. What about you, Adam? What would you do? No. Play him, play him, just play him. Yeah, no, normally the medical men say when you come back like that. Because I've spoken to a few minutes, they say sixty-five minutes is your first game back. Well, bear in mind he's a centre half. He's not a, like a driving mid. He's not. It's not like bringing De Bruyne back or anything and playing him for ninety minutes. It's Ruben Diaz. Is he? Is he going to have much more to battle with other than maybe Weghorst and Corne? Is he going to have any anything really extra to deal with against Burnley? Or are we going to we're going to dominate the game? We're going to have most of the possession. He's maybe going to have to make a couple of recovery runs and maybe play a couple of passes. But other than that, I don't think Diaz is going to be too troubled. It's more about getting stuff in his legs, and it? it's more about getting. Getting minutes in his legs and getting ready for the running, but then I think, I think if you beat if you beat Liverpool in the league game, which is the bigger one, then you could even go with a Laporte and the Stones against Liverpool in the cup. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you don't have to play Diaz in the cup game. Let me yeah. stop you there. Let, let me stop you there, and let me just ask you one final, final question. As we sit here now in the middle of the international break. Knowing the route to Wembley, well, I'll say Wembley, obviously the semi-finals at Wembley, but knowing the route for the FA Cup, knowing the potential route for the Champions League, knowing what the league games are and what's coming up, we'll go, we'll leave our star guest as the last man to comment on this. Adam, the City going to win trophies, trophy, 
or be trophyless this season? Well, we seem to have this chat every year, don't we? Because we know we've said before we can we know we're capable of winning every any trophy, but it doesn't mean we'll win every trophy. Uh, it's very hard to go through and pick up these multiples, and you always think that with these games getting bigger and bigger and closer together, something will give somewhere. But if I had to if I had to guess, I would say we'll win the big two. I would say we'd win the league and the Champions League this year, and we might slip up in the cup. Harlan? Yeah, I agree with that. I think if, we, if we're going to go out of one, we'll go out of the, we'll go out of the FA Cup. I think that the thing you said, the theory about playing the same side in two games, I think that'll play a part. Um, I also think there's a, there's a prioritisation with the two games against Liverpool. Um, and I also don't think that we'll be able to, to, to kind of um, cope with their counter-attacking threat over the two games without risking not being ready for the Atletico game the second time round. So I'd say the sensible thing would be to, well, win them all, really. That's a sensible thing to do, isn't it? We're not going to lose any of them. But to prioritise the league game, Ian, uh, get through in the Champions League. And if the FA Cup game ends up being one of those where we just strike it lucky in the end and manage to be clinical like yesterday against Hampton and get through, then that's when the, the next chat on the podcast will be, what do you focus on more? Firstly, yeah. the league, secondly, the Champions League, and then the FA yeah. Cup. Dennis, to finish off with, what do you reckon? One, two, three trophies. I agree with what Holland just said there. You know, let's just concentrate on, unfortunately, the FA Cup, as much as I love the FA Cup, I've got great memories with the FA Cup. I've got my trophy here, my medal, I've got my shirt on the wall here, the summer shirt. So, as much as I love that, you know, I still think Champions League and the, and the Premier League are the priorities. Well, thanks very much to the three of you for being uh, such fabulous guests as usual. Uh, to Dennis Stewart, the King of All Geordies, to Adam and to Harlan and to you for listening and, of course, to charleslewy.co.uk, without whom there might not be a podcast. So thanks very much to those guys, uh, chartered um, mortgage advisors and uh, involved in the property business. Have a look at their website, charleslewy.co.uk. There will be a podcast next week. Uh, we'll post it up probably on Sunday, which is the usual time, that's Sunday UK in the evening. Uh, but it will feature the actor and comedian and writer, Craig Cash, who's a big City fan, and also somebody from City Matters talking about uh, what they're doing off the field. And of course, will there be a podcast just after the Burnley game as well? But that seems like quite a while off at the moment while I'm talking to these three and talking to you. So thanks very much for listening. Subscribe, share the word, uh, let everybody know that it exists. And if you only remember one thing from this podcast, only one thing, remember this, it's great to be a blue. <laughs>